Hello, my name's Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Hey, welcome to Theologizing Life. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And hey, if you found any of the episodes that uh, you've listened to um, encouraging or inspiring or uh, helpful and meaningful in any way, I just want to encourage you to uh, like, share, uh, subscribe, rate it on Apple Podcasts. All of these things can help expand uh, our influence and, and the listener base. And uh, I just appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing the podcast in that way. So this episode, uh, I talk, I sit down and talk with Tyler Cronk, and we talk about LGB people and how to love them and meet them with grace and truth in the midst of their questions and struggle with sexuality. What Tyler and I have found is that a lot of times, whether perceived or actual, LGB people have not found the church the community of Jesus followers, a safe place uh, to come and bring their stories. And so we talk about what does it look like to create a community, a sense of community, and even invite people to follow Jesus in the midst of their questions, maybe even their struggle uh, with sexuality and things surrounding that. Because we want to reflect grace and truth. We want to reflect Jesus. We want to reflect love. We want to reflect compassion. So it's a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy. Again, thanks for listening. I do want to make a note that uh, I recorded this episode at home. So there in the background, there may be faint noises of children or even I think at one point you could hear our dog barking his head off outside. And uh, it's, it was not an ideal setting for recording, but it was when I was able to make it work. Uh, I, I recorded from home. So um, those things are in the background, just to let you know. That's that's what you will that's what you will hear, and it's just a little glimpse into into real life. But again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Uh, one of the things I like to do is dive into uh, topics that are sometimes hard to wrestle with, and maybe sometimes topics that uh, we don't talk about. Uh, in, in your everyday Sunday school class. And so um, today we're going to talk about LGBTQ people. And uh, to, to talk about that with me is uh, Tyler Cronk. Um, Tyler, thank you for joining me. I'm excited to have you. And yeah, thanks uh, for having me. I, I always like to uh, begin by uh, having our guests just share a little bit of their story. So uh, Tyler, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your story. Who is Tyler in a nutshell? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in a family of five. My mom and dad, twin sister, and older brother. Um, so as early as I can remember, my parents were taking me to church. Um, so I would be going to Sunday school on Sundays, youth group on Wednesdays, um, as well as summer camps, Bible schools over the summer um yeah all kinds of church. vbs yes yes vbs <laughs> so um that's kind of my background um i even remember 
like each night my parents would like tuck me into bed they'd pray with me and I'd tell my mom she was the best mom in the world and I'd tell my dad that he was the second best dad in the world because God was the best dad um so um yeah that's just a bit about my early years but as I went through high school um graduated um I went to college at Grace and um eventually got my master's in clinical mental health counseling and I've been doing that for the past three years so that's awesome so uh I have some other questions that we'll we'll, we will dive into but I'm curious um you kind of grew up and Christianity was sort of the part of the fabric of your family life um were there uh with is there a time you can sort of point to or you're aware of where there was uh, this distinction between this is the faith, like of my parents that we grew up with, and this is my faith. Um, and, and there may not, I mean, sometimes I think when it's so ingrained, it, it is ours because it's part of your story and your family. And, and, um, but I know sometimes people have these like defining moments in their stories. Um, I wasn't sure. Uh, or another way to ask is maybe why did you continue uh, to, to stay connected to your faith? Yeah, man, good question. Um, I guess a significant moment, um, in my faith journey was probably around my sophomore year of high school. Um, it was at a summer camp coincidentally. And I just remember, um, our pastor, he was teaching on uh, the Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, about how, you know, God has plans for us. And um, I remember hearing that message and then him talking about how each of us are called to like count the cost, um, what it means to follow Jesus. And um, yeah, I was just kind of reflecting on how life is unpredictable, you know? I don't know what... Um, you know, would, would be coming my way. I don't know what life would, where life would take me or what God would ask me to do. And, um, I just remember deciding that whatever God asked me to do, um, he was worth it. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of a, a defining moment. Yeah. But like, I personally was <clears throat> that choice, um, after considering what I, you know, what I could lose if, um, you know, if God didn't pull through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So, uh, also you mentioned clinic, uh, clinical psychology and, and you went to your undergrad and then you were a glutton for punishment and continued, uh, the <laughs> education, uh, route to, to get your, uh, when, um, when, or how did you come about, uh, wanting to pursue, this, this field of work and education and vocation? Yeah, sure. So um, I think probably from a young age, I always, you know, cared a lot about people and wanted to help people. And so I feel like going into the field of psychology or, you know, becoming a counselor, what just made sense to me as far as something that I could do to help people. Um, some significant experiences that kind of pushed me in that direction was um, just observing 
um, my own family dynamics and how important, you know, parental relationships are to mm. the health of their kids. And um, yeah, and so in my own story, um, just kind of noticing that made me want to be able to help families and or couples or parents to be healthy. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so uh, one of the things just in, in knowing you and being friends with you uh, that I, I, I know is uh, you're really passionate uh, about one of the sort of groups. I don't even know if I like groups because that implies category, but um, mm-hmm. you, you have a heart uh, and really passionate about helping Christians understand LGBTQ people uh, so that we can be effective witnesses of God's grace in their lives. Um, could you share a little bit about why? Uh, you're so passionate about these people or or how that passion developed and what that looks like for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess this actually kind of relates to my journey of becoming a counselor. I just remember back in high school, noticing peers whom didn't quite seem to fit in for whatever reason. Um, maybe they made choices that people thought were unwise or unhealthy um, and would then judge or exclude or, um, yeah, just not treat with the value and the dignity that they deserved. Um, and, like, as a Christian, um, you know, if if I'm believing what the Bible says, that all people are created in the image of God and have value, um, Christians out of all people should be treating um, people with, with absolute dignity worth. Um, Yeah. And that I didn't always see that happening. Did you go to a Christian school? Did you? So in like first and second grade I did, but after that I did go to public school. Okay. But the community I grew up in was just very influenced by conservative Christianity so um i attended the biggest church in my hometown and knew like you know a lot of people at my high school Mm -hmm. that went to church and so when i observed um yeah how they treated some people uh it wasn't always flattering Um, yeah yeah so i think that those experiences just made me really passionate about people being treated with dignity and worth in general. Um, and then as I just continued to grow up, um, one group of people that it seemed the church didn't always measure up to treating with the, you know, value and dignity that they deserved was people who um, might describe themselves as LGBTQ um, within that community. Um, but I guess on a more personal level, um, I think for a lot of people, it they don't quite understand, um, I guess, people's experiences unless they met someone who have that uh, experience. Um, so for me, about five years ago, I met a friend of mine whom both of us are in the counseling field. and. 
uh, as I got to know them, I just found that they were an incredibly compassionate person, very creative, um, very uh, deep. They've had a relationship with Christ for most of their lives. And um, even from the outside, before I even got to know them as a friend, um, I noticed um, just how evident their love for God was. Um, and then as I got to know that person, um, they ended up confiding in me that they were gay. Um, now, I feel like I have to make a caveat because when Christians hear that term gay, um, sometimes they make assumptions um, what that right. means. And so for them, when they said that they were gay, what they were saying was um, when they went through puberty, they realized instead of finding people of the opposite sex um, attractive, they realized they found the people of the same sex um, attractive. Um, they didn't choose that. Um, and as they, you know, matured in their relationship with Christ and um, entered into like, you know, fellowship, um, what they were taught and how they interpreted the scripture specifically was that to have a sexual relationship with someone of the opposite or of the same sex, um, they believe that to be a sin. Um, so as I got to know that person and the experiences that they had in the church um, and just how they felt invisible and and a lot of times hurt by statements that um, people in the church would say or even pastors mm -hmm. uh, and like that kind of hearing that story and then comparing that to just how amazing of a person they are it really just broke my heart to um yeah to see that all this person had to offer and how it didn't seem like all they had to offer was i guess desired in some ways it was hard the church made it harder for them to serve rather than easier to for them yeah. to use their gifts so, yeah yeah so we're going to, I think we're going to continue to dive into um, some of the, some more specifics about this, but I, just, I hear um, what I, what I hear you saying is it, it started from this place of just having a heart for people who uh, are sometimes unnoticed or um, marginalized or they're, uh, they're just their dignity of being a person, a human is sometimes overlooked or even diminished and you you've just had a heart for people in that place and lgbtq people um, as you've interacted with this person's story and probably others since then you found that they uh they sort of fit that um that experiential uh, that experience of not um of being kind of marginalized being on the fringes of being unnoticed and sometimes their dignity and value diminished and you have a heart for that. Yeah. Um, and so that your heart for that has sort of inspired 
a bit of a pursuit of learning. Like you've been really intentional about learning about um, about their experience, about their stories, but but not just the sort of the stories with people. Like you've uh, been intentional about learning about it from sort of your field of expertise as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so before we dive too much further, uh, uh, often terms, and, and you kind of mentioned, mentioned it already with that, that friend who identifies mm -hmm. gay and what that meant for them. Uh, could you help, like, what is, what is LGBTQ? What does that mean? Um, yeah. And, and what are the, the key things people should know about sort of these, this terminology? Yeah, totally. So um, when I described gay, um, what I was describing and what people are oftentimes referring to when they use gay or, or lesbian or bi is a sexual orientation. Um, so one thing, one, one distinction I should make is the difference between sexual orientation and um, maybe same-sex attraction. So um, we'll probably get into this in a little bit later, but sometimes people confusing um, same-sex attraction or that term with um, sexual orientation um, has caused harm. And again, hopefully we'll get into that. but. Um, a same-sex attraction is just someone finding someone of the same sex attractive. Um, um, but a sexual orientation, that is um, a, a kind of a persistent, so it, it lasts, it doesn't go away, and uh, it's, uh, it's consistent. So, um, so, so, for example, someone who is um, lesbian, um, it's usually referred to females um, who are attracted to the same sex. And so then their attraction to the same sex is persistent. It continues on throughout life, not um, just kind of momentarily or with attraction to like one person, but it's consistent. And um, when they um, like, as they just kind of observe their experience, they find themselves not attracted to the opposite sex, they they just find themselves attracted to people of the um, same sex that are women. Um, gay, people who are attracted to the opposite sex. It, historically, it was, it was used to describe men, but more recently, it is kind of a more general term used for men or women. And then by um, that's a sexual orientation that describes people who are um, sexually attracted to um, both men and women. Um, yeah, so transgender, um, that, that is a group of people who um, their experience of their gender is um, not consistent with their biological sex. So um, someone who describes themselves as cisgender um, would be someone who um, they were born um, biologically a male and then they would identify as a male or they were born biologically as a female and they would identify as a female, whereas someone who identifies as transgender, um, they may be born a male, identify as female, or be born a male, identify as somewhere in between male, female. Um, yeah, there's honestly transgender, that term in itself is an umbrella term for a lot of different experiences. Um, 
So uh, yeah, we could probably have a whole podcast just on people who who would identify as transgender. But um, yeah, and then finally, Q. Um, typically, that's used for um, questioning, or so people are kind of wondering about their sexual orientation or gender identity, or people who, um, or it's also used for the term queer, which anyone who identify as LGBTQ um, would also they could identify themselves as queer. Um, it used to be a very derogatory term. Um, so people who are older may not use that term or might have some less of a positive connotation to that term. But people who are younger, like my age or like teenagers nowadays, they probably wouldn't think anything of it. They would just use it as, yeah, a synonym for um, any of those labels. Yeah. And like you said, the the transgender issues, there's, uh, um, it's almost, or issues, uh, people in, in that that title is, uh, is almost a whole other other topic. Um, and it in many ways is, is different. Um, and so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of hone in on the LGB um, part of the part of the acronym and, and people and their experience, uh, lesbian, gay, and bi. And um, thank you for defining those two. I think sometimes uh, we've all been exposed to the acronym, but maybe don't have uh, understanding of, of what it means. And hopefully as we go on, there'll be uh, greater depths of understanding. And the hope, as I mentioned earlier, is, is part of your passion is helping Christians understand so that we can be effective witnesses of God's grace, like um, understanding other people. And um, so, uh, so I think sometimes what's helpful in understanding is not just terminology, but addressing the misunderstandings that people have. So what are some common misunderstandings related to LGB people? Yeah, sure. So um, I kind of alluded to this when differentiating um, same-sex attraction and um, someone who identifies as gay being like a sexual orientation. Um, so there w- used to be this belief that someone who identifies as gay chose to be attracted to people of the same sex, um, or rather they chose to be gay. Um, I think that that idea largely probably stemmed from people um, probably misunderstanding terms in the language, which is why defining things are so important. Um, Oftentimes people didn't differentiate people's behaviors from um, people's uh, sexual attraction. So when people heard the term gay, they thought, oh, they're they're having sex with someone of the same sex. no, that, that it's called sex. Um, gay is a sexual orientation. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so with the, the understanding that the, that the sexual attraction and behavior are different, yes, someone can choose whether or not to have sex, um, whether they're gay or heterosexual. Um, but someone doesn't choose their sexual orientation or who they're attracted to. When I went through puberty, I didn't choose to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex and people who are gay don't choose to be attracted to people of the same sex. So that's one a misunderstanding um, 
that I think is important to understand. People don't choose to be gay or or straight. Um, so something that's kind of connected to that um, is that people generally can't change their sexual orientation. Um, so there's been a lot of research um, on people who, um, like my friend, identify as a Christian, have been Christian most of their lives, and who want to serve and love God to the best of their ability. And because of her specific conviction about um, being in a romantic or sexual relationship being a sin, um, it's not necessarily easy having those um, attractions. Um, and so in the past, um, this idea that you could change um, from gay to straight used to be a common belief in the evangelical circles. Um, some people would use terms like, oh, you can, if you just prayed enough, or if you had enough faith, you could, you know, you wouldn't have to be gay anymore. Um, some people might use the word pray the gay away, um, mm. which I think some people might use seriously. Other people might use it more of a pejorative. Yeah. Sar sarcastic kind of tone to it because of just how much hurt has come from yeah. um, that idea. Um, yeah. I mean, there there's even so, so yeah i'll go into a little bit of the, the history too because i just think it's important for people to understand how pervasive this idea was um so there is this um, organization called um, exodus international they they were founded in uh, 1976 wow. and they um continued to um, be open for their ministry through 2013 um, so they, um, so oftentimes if someone expressed that they were gay or that they were experiencing same sex attraction, the evangelical community would oftentimes refer people to, um, this organization or one of their, um, partner organizations. They, Exodus International was kind of an, an umbrella, um, organization. Um, they had like, oh goodness, I think over 120 partner organizations um, throughout the United States. It was very widespread. Um, and so, but over time, um, what they found is people very devoted um, to Christ and desire to serve him um, went through counseling, conversion therapy, or other um, interventions to try to change from gay to straight. And it didn't happen. So the the founder of Exodus International in 2013, when they closed their doors, said that um, they that conversion therapy doesn't work. That um, people do not change their sexual orientation. And if anyone would know if people change their sexual orientation, he would know. Um, so that occurred. Um, but unfortunately, there's still organizations that promote um, conversion therapy or um, that people can change their sexual orientation. Um, and yeah, so unfortunately, people are likely still 
involved in those ministries at times if um, that's where they're encouraged to go. And um, yeah. there's just a lot of hurt and pain as a result of that. So one of the, I, I know this line of thinking, like people who are gay, choose it. And I think mm-hmm. it's important your distinction between the, the behavior, the action, uh, we choose actions um, and the attraction. Uh, but one of the lines of thinking too is like God wouldn't create someone, mm-hmm. um, you know, to uh, to be that way. So mm-hmm. they can't. You can't be born that way um, mm-hmm. because. Uh, which I have some thoughts on. I have some theological thoughts on that. Um, but that was sort of the that was sort of the line of thinking that I've, I've heard. You can't. You can't be born that way because God wouldn't make you that way. And so somewhere down the line, mm-hmm. it's a sinful choice that's made. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, how would you speak to that? Yeah. So, um, well, maybe if you want to say theologically, I'll let you respond to that. But as far as like research goes, um, most things about human beings are pretty complex. Um, and so they've done a lot of research to try to find out what causes people to be gay. Um, and like a lot of things that are just kind of complicated, um, they found that they use a term called nurture and nature. So nurture being environmental influences and nature being just kind of things that are inborn, um, genetic or biological. And, um, what they found is there's just a complex mix that they don't completely understand, um, that causes people to be gay. So I, I would probably hesitate to say people are born gay because that sounds like people are, their genetics have 100% of um, the impact that caused them to be gay. But the research has found that there's some complex unknown mix of environmental factors and um, biological factors. Um, which I feel like even that, like, so saying that there can be environmental factors, I think it's also to clarify um, environmental factors that people, um, that are not the cause of um, someone being gay because that's also caused pain. Sometimes people in the past have suggested that, oh, bad parenting causes someone to be gay or sexual abuse causes someone to be gay. And those, those ideas are just false. Um, and so I guess I also want to make sure to clarify that as well. Um, cause I wouldn't want parents to be blaming themselves for doing something wrong to cause their child to be gay yeah. uh, or for, um, someone to, again, go to therapy and try to get rid of their same sex attraction by somehow healing their trauma. Um, yeah. I encourage people to go to therapy. Obviously, I'm a therapist. If you have a trauma, um, I think therapy is a great method to um, find health and healing. Um, but I think that is separate from yeah. someone's orientation. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things like uh, theologically, the way I've wrestled with it is people sort of have this idea that the way um, it, it's interesting because it's there's this like uh, inconsistency sometimes how people so Christianity believes as humans we're born into sin 
and we're born into a sin nature. And um, because of that sin nature, there are certain uh, proclivities and propensities and things that we can be tempted by, uh, except homosexuality, <laughs> except that sin, except um, you couldn't possibly be born with, uh, you, you could be born with a broken heterosexuality, right? Like you could be born and struggle with the sin of lust. And that's something that because of your human nature, you're born with, but you can't be born with a broken uh, sexuality that manifests as same sex attraction or same sex lust. Like uh, our brokenness, it's like some Christians believe our brokenness can't manifest that way because that would mean God made us wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, theologically, it's like, no, it's not to say God made us wrong. It's to say, uh, there's a brokenness that we're born into and it's extremely complex and manifests in a variety of different ways. And one of the ways is, is through, um, I, I believe can be through, uh, homosexuality. Uh, and, and the other thing I feel, which we may get into this too, is I think, um, it's, it's not a sin to be, um, to have a same-sex attraction or inclination any more than it's a sin to have a heterosexual inclination. Um, what, what is sin is the action to act on that, uh, I believe, uh, is, is to go outside of what God intended for sex, but it's also uh, a sin to have heterosexual uh, sex outside of what God intended to. And I think we need to be consistent there too. Like theologically, that's one of the things in the church. It's like, um, you know, sometimes even sometimes Christians have been, I think, hard on this particular sin, uh, but gracious with other sins that relate to our sexuality and marriage and family and stuff. So um that's sort of where I, so I guess I, I, the short of it is I believe someone could be born with, uh, with that, um, mm -hmm. put with that potential for sin to manifest that way, yeah. just like we're born with the potential to, for sin to manifest in other ways. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for you pointing out um how the sexual sin is is treated differently um depending on someone's uh, whether they're attracted to someone of the same sex or opposite sex um yeah sexual sin is sexual sin um yeah and i think i think the this idea that you mentioned that oh god wouldn't um cause someone to be born gay um I, th I think that that idea reveals how people tend to view attraction to people of the same sex in itself as a sin, um, despite right. that not being the case. Um, and, and then oftentimes likely viewing any sin that um, is done by someone of who's attracted to the same sex as worse than yeah, sin that's yeah. done in a, a heterosexual relationship. Yeah, which again, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's like if if you start off with the homosexual um, attraction, you're already 
uh, you're already really bad. And so if you act on it, you're terrible. But if you start with a heterosexual attraction and you mess up, yes, it's sin, but you don't start off in as bad of a place, you know, cause you're not, uh, it's not, it's not homosexual sin. And that, that is, uh, terribly inconsistent. Um, I think in the ways it, it creates this hierarchy of sin. And then that hierarchy creates justification to stand in judgment of other people in condemnation, which, um, isn't, I don't think the place that we're supposed to, I don't think we're supposed to hold the gavel as believers. Um, so one of the things that I think, uh, well, I say one of the things, there are so many things, um, but, but one thing I think can be so challenging and why people, actually, I want to, I want to back up and clarify too. Um, so we, we were talking about sexual sin and I think Tyler, you and I would agree that we do believe there is uh, boundaries that God has established that there is such thing as sexual sin. Uh, but even, uh, did you hear the, my computer update there or whatever? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, oh, the, good. The recording didn't catch it. Um, but uh, there is such thing as sexual sin, but the, I have the conviction that um, God hasn't created these or, or, uh, sort of address these boundaries in scripture because he's um, because he's no fun and he wants to suck the fun. But uh, I believe sex is a beautiful gift um, mm-hmm. and it's good and mm-hmm. it's, and it's incredibly intimate and that intimacy and that vulnerability and the power, like I was talking to someone the other day and, and uh, I think sex is, to be enjoyed, but um, there is uh, this other thing that happens, and and that is the potential of procreating a human life. Uh, that's a ton of potential. Like that's an incredible amount of power that I think sometimes our culture doesn't take very seriously because we sort of have ways of um, of uh, detouring away from that consequence. But sex is this incredibly power loaded with potential beautiful, good gift in which two people are in also incredibly vulnerable uh, with mm-hmm. one another. And I think God wants to protect that intimacy and love. And so um, a lot of times things that we need to protect uh, need to have boundaries. And so um, I do believe that there is such thing as sexual sin, um, but I don't believe it in this sort of like, uh, I don't come, I, I don't come at it with this sort of uh, just prude like uh, approach, if that makes sense. And I don't think God does either. Um, I think it's his intention is to protect the beauty and the power of it. Um, And that there is uh, a way to experience it that is best. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, And the reason I wanted to say is because when we sometimes we talk about sexual sin, if if someone's listening, um, that could also be loaded with implications if they've been around Christians who've uh, been really rigid or legalistic or judgmental or just not gracious or kind about sexual sin. Um, So I wanted to clarify that. But um, yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the things that I've uh, noticed is um, it's it's such a deep 
topic for people who, who, who that's their experience because their sexual orientation is so tied to their identity. So mm-hmm. to, to say that um, I, I do not agree with someone's lifestyle, um, but that lifestyle being so connected to the identity is to, in a, in a way, say, I don't approve of them. And that's how it's often received, whether, whether that's what I mean or not, or what someone else means. And, and I've, I've just wondered uh, what, what is, uh, what is happening there where their orientation is so connected to their identity? Can you help us under, just understand that better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think when, well, I guess if it's okay, um, um, if I asked you the question, um, if someone was told you that you cannot talk about um, your role as a father, you can't say yeah. that you're a father, um, that's just off limits, um, but expected you to feel known and valued and welcomed um, in community with them. I guess how how might that how might that come across? Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing is, um, I would feel they don't really want to know. Like, they don't actually want to know me if they don't want to know that part about me. Um, and then the other thing is, it would be hard. Uh, it wouldn't have been hard before being a father, but now that I am, it's it's a significant part of my story. So, uh, yeah, that would be. It would be hard to even know what that would look like. So there'd be sort of two feelings, probably. They don't really yeah. want to know me, and I I don't know uh, how to share my story without sharing this part. Yeah, and so I think someone who would describe themselves as gay, bisexual, lesbian, um, I think they would echo those things. Um, that if they want to share their story um it'd be really challenging to do that if they couldn't share that part um, of who they are um i was actually recently recently reading a article that um was written by um a he's a he is in charge of a ministry called uh, equip um, he holds a traditional sexual ethic. So, um, you know, he's also a, a therapist. Um, and, um, yeah, so he, he, you know, views that sex is designed, um, to be between a man and a woman in Christian marriage. Um, and, um, or that we're called to celibacy. Um, but he's also gay. And, so sometimes this topic of identity um, can be linked to language again. And some Christians might say that um, we shouldn't, that Christians shouldn't call themselves gay um, because even though that is describing themselves, they think that they then are identifying with sin. Um, which comes back to what we talked about earlier. Um, if we're describing gay as your attraction to someone of the same sex, 
um, to describe yourself as gay isn't to say that you're identifying with sin. Um, Peter, um, he, he kind of um, wrote in this article, um, kind of see if I can pull it up and read um, what, what he wrote about that real fast. Okay, yeah, so he wrote, I use the phrase gay Christian, particularly to identify with other Christians who experienced the same shame and loneliness as a kid. Um, I identify with other Christians who have endured the same pain and fearfully um, offered their whole selves to God. I identify with people of shared experience because more often than not, they are able to empathize with me and care for me best. I am not identifying with a temptation or a sin. Mm. Um, so I, I think the heart of the connection between identity and uh, someone's sexual orientation is it's very intimately connected with their life experience. Like you said, if someone said, I don't want to understand or I don't want you to talk about your role as a father or um, yeah, it would just feel like they didn't really want to know you. Yeah. And so if we, we want to refuse to acknowledge that piece of someone's life and how that influences their experience, um, I, I think that just can be really hurtful. Um, and also not um, consistent with how we treat other people. Yeah, yeah, that that's that is helpful to think that the analogy of like me as a father was that was good. Um, and I think even there's it's it's why having conversations I think is so important and and listening to people because just when I know of a lot of Christians, if they hear someone say, identify as a gay Christian, their immediate assumption is they are affirming, they are a Christian who's affirming of living that lifestyle and have basically cast off all moral, sexual, ethical boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, but that example you just read is, is not, uh, there's a difference between um, those who um, have, have essentially believe that scripture doesn't speak against the behavior or living or, or uh, pursuing that lifestyle and those who affirm what scripture says, but still have this experience um, and they need a place to be able to share um, mm -hmm. and live in community. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that even the language um, lifestyle, oftentimes people use the phrase gay lifestyle. And um, that phrase in itself also can communicate that people who are gay um, are inherently more sinful, mm -hmm. right? You just talked about how whether you're heterosexual or gay, um, either person, um, isn't more 
evil or more sinful um, in but who and as in who they are as a person, right? Yeah. Um, the choices we make as people are either sinful or not sinful, um, and so um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm glad that you you brought that up because um, it's just so easy as people who you know grew up in Christian cultures um, without having conversations with people um, who have different experiences than us um, to unintentionally um, say hurtful things or communicate things that just aren't true and honestly don't even reflect our theological perspectives. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, One of the things that you've also introduced me to is the terminology of side B. Mm-hmm. Um, could you, could you explain that? Because I think, uh, for a lot of people, there's sort of this like either or, uh, black and white false dichotomy, like you're, you're either, you either land in this camp or this camp. Um, but there's, there's a, a good group of people who, uh, are somewhere in the middle and, mm-hmm. and could you just help explain, um, explain that and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so people who have, you know, been following Jesus, um, who grew up in the church, um, and who then, you know, realize their, um, sexual orientation is not heterosexual. Um, they've been having these conversations for a long time because <laughs> they've had to figure out what does this look like to follow Jesus safely yeah. and um, admits my sexual orientation. And so um, language, some of some language to describe people's theological perspective has come up in amongst um, groups of Christians who um, are gay or um, identify as part of the LGBTQ community. And so um, one of those, uh, I guess, terms is side B. Um, so side B is um, someone who um, would identify, well, someone who believes that sex between a man and a woman um, is in covenant marriage is um, permissible. Um, yeah, is permissible uh, by God, um, but they would believe that um, a same-sex sex marriage um, would would not be permissible by God, um, assuming that that includes um, a sexual relationship between those two people. Um, so. That is what what people who hold side B would be. Um, I think it's also important, though, to distinguish side B between side X. So while side B would also say identifying as someone who's gay is also not sinful because the attraction in itself is not a sin, um, side X, um, they, they would believe that um, in order to be right by God, or um, or at least that their 
their kind of effort um, related to their sexual orientation would likely be to try to change um, that sexual orientation. Um, so side, side X um, then relates to ex-gay ministries. Um, does that make sense then as far as the, the language side A, side B, and side X? It, it does. Um, it does. And I find it really beautiful, actually. Um, sorry for a moment there. I was distracting my computer battery. Uh, I needed to, my uh, cord wasn't all the way plugged in and no didn't, want, uh, didn't want it to die. <laughs> and then I also have my, uh, my dog who's decided to join the conversation over here. You can't see him, though. He'll stay down there. Um, yeah, I find side B really beautiful because it's people who are committed to celibacy, um, which is also the same commitment that a single heterosexual is making too. And what I think is beautiful about it is like, that's, uh, that's hard for, for um, those Christians who find themselves in, in that place. And, um, but it, it shows like, I mean, it really is this, this denial of self in order to uh, honor uh, what they believe God is, has called them to. And, uh, and so, but I also would say like, if someone's committed to that and that's what they, you know, they believe and they're committed to that, um, but they mess up just like if any of us mess up in any other place, I think there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's space for that. And, and I want to see within our communities that we call churches, um, I want to see more consistency, um, in, in how we view sin uh um you know if you 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 may not struggle with sexual sin but if if you're losing uh your your ever freaking mind on on your family losing your temper um that doesn't honor god either you know it it like uh or if or if you have harbored bitterness and hate against someone who's hurt you like that that sin is toxic to your soul too um, and so let's be consistent about sin and not just uh, elevate sexual sin as like the big no-no. Mm -hmm. um, let's be consistent, but then let's also be consistent about grace. Like uh, there's grace for the person who um, messed up with homosexual sin, just like there's grace for that heterosexual on the elder board who struggles with pornography, like, um, or that couple that got a divorce in our church, you know? Um, or that couple that had, an, you know, that person that had an affair, like uh, their re redemption um, is available, uh, forgiveness, grace, restorations available, uh, no matter where, where people at and where they come from and, um, and things. Yeah. Um, I think that, so when, when you're even just describing those um, different um, there's different sins that um, there is grace for. I think something we also forget is um, just the importance of humility in, yeah, hu humility in how we view other people, um, recognizing that we are all sinners and 
we are all saved by grace alone. It's not by our own righteousness yeah. Um, yeah. that we are saved, but through um, the grace of God. And um, even in this um, conversation about side A, side B, um, side X, um, and the example you gave about divorce, um, when you said that um, there's grace for a person who divorces, there's Bible passages that people would say, um, not all um, cases where someone gets divorced is a sin, right? Um, other people who would, would interpret the Bible differently. And um, I think it's important for us as Christians, if we are going to love each other well, um, to be able to understand that there's going to be a difference in people's convictions, um, but that we are called to love each other. Yeah. And we're, we're called to, um, you know, reflect um, who Jesus and God is, right? By demonstrating yeah. their worth and dignity. And um, I, some people might not like what I'm about to say, but I think we should also um, hold that humility and recognize that people who are gay also have different convictions, like some people being side A, um, viewing that same-sex marriage isn't a sin, um, as well as side B, some people thinking that it is a sin. Um, and if we believe in the Holy Spirit um, and that he works in our lives and continues to sanctify us, um, we are going to believe that those who are Christians um, are going to be led to, to be more sanctified. So people yeah. who are side B um, are going to believe that people who are side A um, will be convicted of sin if, if they are um, living in sin through side A. And people who are side A are going to believe this, that people who are side B um, will come to have a different theological perspective um, if, if, you know, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies them. And so I think that it's important that we um, choose to love each other um, no matter where someone is at theologically. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the example Jesus gave, I think too, is he invited people um, to the, to the table of grace uh, bef before, uh, before their minds, their worldviews, their lives, their behaviors, their attitudes were fully sanctified. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of the process. So um, to say someone has to sort of get this part of their life all tidied up and fixed before they can like can be a Christian um, is just I, I I am not willing to make um, I'm not willing to make that statement you know I think mm -hmm. uh, I think like you said I believe the Holy Spirit can sanctify them in process and uh, Jesus invites us now there is a degree of repentance that that you know Jesus his message was repent and believe and follow me and and so I believe that there should be this repentance from sin. Um, but there are things in my life that I did not consider sin um, that I do now. 
because there's been conviction in that area that wasn't there before, or I just wasn't aware. So um, the repentance is even, it's not this static, stagnant thing. Uh, and then I, I also just, I think of the, 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 I think it's in Corinth, I'm pretty sure it's Corinthians. Paul's talking to this church and there's this, someone in, a, in this Corinthian church is sleeping with their mother-in-law. And um, Paul tells, stop, tells us, stop it. Uh, but he, he doesn't talk to any of them like they're not believers or Christians. Um, he does call them to, to you know, you, you need to not be doing that. Um, but it's not, uh, you're, you're now no longer part of this Jesus movement thing. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, I think there could be more humility and grace sometimes and space for that sanctification to be a process uh, and, and give people room to grow and to grow at different paces. Um, yeah. um, but so one of the things, um, another thing I'm just curious, what are some of the, if you could sort of condense in some, some specific ways that Chris, you've seen or experienced Christians be hurtful or harmful um, when responding to LGB people. Um, and then likewise, though, uh, could you help us share, have you experienced ways that Christians have interacted that's been helpful and good? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess when I think of hurtful or harmful ways Christians have responded, um, I think of kind of two different categories. So one category I think of is um, being completely silent. Um, and the other category being speaking um, in ways that are hurtful, um, oftentimes likely due to just being uninformed. Um, I think the si silence in choosing not to talk about um, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing same-sex attraction implies that they don't matter and that they're not a part of us. Yeah. And neither one of those statements are true. Um, so a, a study that was done in 2016 um, with um, over 1,700 um, members of the LGBTQ community um, a survey was given to them, and they found that 86% of them grew up in the church. Wow. Um, as in, wow. they attended church weekly. Wow. 86%. That's higher than, um, like, a, another study did on the, on, like, the average population. Um so again, to assume that um, gay or LGBTQ um, people are not in our churches is just wrong. Yeah. Um, so that so that's one important piece. Um, as far as um, saying things, um, I think we already talked about language that can be hurtful. Um, and. Um, so we, and we also talked about how um, conversion therapy um, has mm. been hurtful. Um, so kind of implying that 
if someone is still gay that, you know, they don't have enough faith or um, they, they haven't prayed enough um, or, you know, all those different things that have caused harm. Um, I would just strongly um, <laughs> encourage against that. Um, I think also sometimes, so that I've even heard um, pastors make comments um, like um, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Um, and, you know, followed by laughter. And this statement like that just implies that how could you, well, I mean, it, it just communicates a disrespect. Yeah. And um, again, kind of just implying they're not here um, because if they were, um, I would hope, you know, that someone wouldn't say something that would be so offensive. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I guess another example that comes to mind, which isn't just in the church, um, but which I can think also communicates how, um, as a society, um, there is a history of mistreatment of LGBTQ people. Um, so this isn't just a problem in the church. This is also a problem outside the church. But I think as Christians, we're called to a higher calling. And so we should be treating everyone, especially those who are mistreated with you know, love and dignity. Um, but I mean, I've sat with people who tell me stories about being called um, bad names um, uh, in reference to um, their sexual orientation or using gay as like a synonym for stupid, like that's so gay. Um, and, and that still happens today. That was super common when I was in high school. Yeah, me uh, too. I was hopeful that that was not the case anymore. Um, I still hear clients using language like that. Um, so it's, yeah. So I guess that also to say it's not just a problem in the church. So you were just saying that, or you just asked me about examples of times that Christians have treated um, LGBT people um, in um, ways that have not reflected um, their dignity and the value that they deserve, but also ways in which Christians um, have treated them yeah. with, with value and have been kind of an example um, for others. Um, so kind of the second part of that question, um, I would say um, when um, Christians kind of demonstrate humility in in just really listening um, and um, working to understand um, LGB um, people's experiences. I think that communicates a great deal um, and just value and worth. Um, and um, I think specifically those of us who are a part of kind of a majority culture um, or experience, um, we often, I guess I'm a, a prime example, I'm male, white, uh, heterosexual, 
uh, cisgender. So I am kind of the epitome of um, majority um, and a, a person with with power um, based on my experience and who, who I am. Um, and, and as a result of that, it, I am not as used to um, people having different opinions as me um, or as used to um, being disagreed with um, because most of the people around me have looked like, like me, thought like me, acted like me, um, had similar theology as me. And so I think it's important for specifically those of us who fit into that majority to really to, to listen. Um, yeah. And so when, when we do that, um, I, I really do think that it communicates um, value and worth to those we listen to and yeah. humility. Um, so that's one way. Um, I think also just loving and accepting um, LGBT people with, you know, wherever they're at, um, whatever um, life experiences, whatever their theology, um, we are called to love them. And um, like you said, Jesus didn't um, demand that people change before he um, entered into a relationship with them. He met them where they were at. And so um, if we want to follow Jesus, I think we should do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing it's important for people to know is like listening with humility and compassion and grace. Um, that is not the same as condoning or relinquishing convictions. Like I can mm-hmm. listen with humility mm-hmm. um, and maintain a conviction uh, mm-hmm. or believe something is true, mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't, you know, um, uh, listening doesn't necessitate agreement or uh, on, on every point, you know, um, yeah. and humility is such a lost value, I think, sometimes in our culture, especially right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think it's important for people to know uh, being asked to listen uh, with humility and grace and compassion, isn't, is, we're not asked, it's, you're not asking for them to give up, uh, values or convictions or things they believe is true. That's, that's not the same, you know? Yeah. Um, what, what are some ways, what could it look like for our local communities called churches, our local community of Jesus followers to be safer spaces for LGBT people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've hit on some of those. Um, I think like, like we just said, um, really listening and intentionally learning from them. Um, I think that goes a long way. Um, but I think, I guess specifically, if we want our, our local church communities to be safer spaces, um, 
I think that those in leadership positions, pastors, um, and elders, um, those who have positions of influence and power to shape the culture and the posture, um, which is, or at least I would hope would be reflected by their theology. Um, I think that those people have a huge role in that and um, they are going to be held accountable um, mm. or for um, how they lead their communities. And so yeah. um, I, I think it's just especially important for them to um, take intentional steps to yeah. create those safe spaces. Um, so I think, yeah, like I said, I think that would take listening. I think that would mm-hmm. take intentional learning. Um, and I think that would also require them to make choices that might not always be popular. Um, and that might make other people unhappy. Um, but again, um, Jesus didn't make the religious people of his day happy. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to love people well and speak truth. And um, I think we should seek to do the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that. I, I think that, again, it could be probably a whole book written on that topic too, mm-hmm. um, which actually I just was listening to a podcast um, where um, kind of on that topic of um, pastors um, serving LGBT people well. So um, maybe I'll have to look that up after our time and maybe you could list that in a description or something yeah yeah that i could do that um i think me as a pastor like one of the things i i heard um is uh the silence like not assuming um that there are people in our congregations who that's not part of their story uh but rather assuming that they they probably are part of our congregations uh there are people um and then the listening and the creating a culture of grace i think um and and again, that goes like for me. I want that to be across the board, um, regardless of people's background story. Like I want the person who um, uh, identifies as as gay, uh, and the person who's struggling with um, meth addiction. Like uh, I want them both to be invited to the table of grace and be able to walk through the doors of of the church I serve and, and find uh, belonging and, and in that belonging, find hope. And part of the reason I'm so big on grace is I believe, I believe grace empowers transformation. Um, or one way scripture says is it's his kindness that leads us to repentance or another way it says mercy triumphs over judgment. Like I think, um, or like you said earlier, the Holy spirit sanctifies us like this, this grace, uh, there being now no condemnation, um, that freedom from that, I think is what 
it is sort of paves the way for uh, transformation and healing and wholeness and sanctification in our lives. So uh, I want to lead with grace, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I serve, uh, I've, I've grown up in the church and serve in the church. And I know one of the concerns people have, and, and I think there is some legitimacy in the concern is uh, for, for those Christians who are genuinely fearful of sexual immorality, just pervading our culture in a way that just erodes society, um, what hope or advice uh, would you offer them? And, and the reason I want to just, where I think there's some legitimization in, in this concern is um, there are, uh, there are ways where sex has been cheapened in all of its forms, not just with, mm-hmm. uh, not just immorality of, of uh, promiscuousness within homosexual community or promiscuous, like it's, it's, you know, it is across the board. And there are things like, I remember seeing an article a couple years ago now about a popular TV show that um, people, even the secular world was saying went across the line because the TV show depicted a, um, a, a rape scene. Um, and, and even secular society was like, okay, that was, that was too far. And so I, I think there is, I think it, there is fair concern that um, sexual morality mm-hmm. in various forms seems to be more prevalent in our society. And yeah. for a lot of Christians, um, you know, homosexuality is, is all part of that, uh, mm-hmm. that threat. Um, and, and I think that's what it, I, 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 that word just came to me, but I think that's what it's viewed as is viewed as a threat. Um, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so I think I think one thing is I think we need to remember who is and is not the threat. So that's good. Gay people are not the threat. Yeah. Um, if if we want to say who the threat is, um, it's it means sin, evil. Yeah. Um, and we all are equally. Um, fallen. Yeah. Um, and so, first and foremost, if we want to rid evil of the world, I think that we need to start with ourselves. Yeah. Um, we need to ask ourselves how is, um, h- how mm-hmm. have I um, contributed to, um, to, a society or a family or a church community yeah. that is not God's ideal as far as how sex is viewed and treated and, um, and, and do our best to um, change that you know, yeah. through, the, through the power of the Holy spirit. And then um, also who are the people in my immediate circle? I am also accountable to or responsible to encouraging. And um, am I doing what I can to encourage them? And again, I think part of what that looks like is creating a safe space. Yeah. Because if we can't be honest with each other about what we're experiencing, um, it's going to be really hard to to help each other. Yeah. Um, 
whether someone's gay, straight, you know, addicted to pornography, um, whatever the the sexual temptation or experiences. Yeah. Um, and then maybe another piece of encouragement is um, who do we believe God is? Yeah. Um, if we believe God is good and we believe that, you know, he is in control and the end of the story is, is a good ending, then I think that we should rest in that as best yeah. we can. Yeah. Uh, control what we can control and um, trust in God in what we can't. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so good. I think uh, what you said is remembering who the like what the threat is. Uh, gay people are not the threat. You know, Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Um, and then that we all fall short. We all are fallen. Um, and uh, yeah, and someone else's, even if there is legitimate sin in someone else's life and, and it has consequences, um, they themselves still even then are not the threat. They're, uh, Christ wants to redeem them from their sin and, and make them whole and heal them and um, has called us to, you know, scripture says that when we were still sinners, he died for us. So even when we were still in our sin, uh, he loved us and we've been called to follow his example. And so our calling is to love people even when they're still in uh, a mess of sin. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I think the other thing you just said too, is remembering who God is and, and where our hope is. And, and so many Christians are, they, they look at our culture, they look at our country and, and they see things happening and there's so much fear and so much grasping to take control. And it's like, wait a minute. Um, uh, what, what, what God actually called us to do was not try to take control of culture, but to uh, love God and love people. Um, Paul reiterates that later. I don't remember which letter it's in, but he says all the, the law and the prophets hang on. You know, the command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has this really beautiful uh, passage on breaking down what love is. And it's read at every wedding probably ever. Um, but it has a lot of stuff in there about it not being boastful or proud or keeping record of wrongs. And um, there's, there is this really clear call not to fret and try to redeem culture from all these threatening sinners um which we are actually uh, yeah. ourselves uh mm -hmm. <laughs> we're once there so um the call isn't to to try to take the reins of culture but to to love our neighbor um mm -hmm. and to bear witness of the resurrection of jesus um so yeah that was those are some good words yes yeah. I, I think the only other thing that I would add to that is if someone is is tempted to believe someone who's gay is the threat, um, I would encourage them to get to know people who are gay, mm. um, specifically gay Christians, um, because um, if your experience is like mine, you will walk away more blessed and challenged and 
and left with just with a, a feeling of um, privilege to be counted among um, those who are um, LGBTQ and Christian. Um, because I, I think I've probably been encouraged, challenged, and um, inspired more from LGBTQ Christians than, um, well, than a, a lot of other people. Yeah. 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 Another kind of um, question for just some some advice or, or encouragement. If there were a Christian parent listening um, and they hold a traditional sexual ethic, uh, but they have a child who has recently come out, mm-hmm. um, what, what advice would you give them? And maybe uh, kind of some two-pronged advice, maybe that child's come out, but the child also affirms a traditional se- sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other story uh, that I've heard is the child comes out and they're uh, every bit intent on um, mm-hmm. on pursuing relationship, sexual relationships uh, with the same sex. Um, yeah. What encouragement, advice, hope would you give a parent? Yeah. Um, so one thing I would say is um, when oftentimes um, when kids come out, um, they have been working to understand this experience of their sexual orientation for years. Um, so in Christian families, typically um, kids don't come out until like their early 20s, mm. um, which, you know, is five or more years Um from the time that they, they recognize their sexual orientation to when they come out. Um, so recognizing that it's okay to be in a very different place, um, they are likely to have a lot more understanding and um, they may seem a lot more calm um, than what the, the parent could be. Um, and so I think, um, one, I mean, doing their best to, to listen and understand, um, despite, um, however they may be feeling. Yeah. Cause the other thing is, um, how parents respond to their kids when they come out, um, can have a really big impact on, um, their child. So, um, I, I, I would really encourage them to really just listen and try to understand yeah. the best they can. Um, so don't, don't overreact is, is yeah. kind of what I'm, what I'm, yeah. one of the things I'm hearing is, yeah. uh, try to manage your reaction. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also again, if, if they have the perspective that, you know, same sex attraction or someone being gay is not a sin. Um, I almost want to say that there's nothing to grieve, but, and I guess I, I say, I, I'm tempted to say that because a lot of parents do end up having a, a, a grief reaction. Um, 
but then I catch myself because there is um, a there's a loss of the parent's idea about the child's future oftentimes yeah um, they have kind of certain expectations about what they think the future will hold for their child and then when their child comes out as gay um, that um, future can look very different um, but I guess I would again then remind them that that future can also be very beautiful yeah uh, that um, someone coming out as gay does not exclude them from a good future. Yeah. Um, so that's another piece. And, and also, if if there is someone is if a parent has a traditional sexual ethic, I, I would very highly recommend um, a resource um, by um, an organization called Guiding Families. Um, actually, I have one right here. Um, it's called Guiding Families um, of LGBT Plus Loved Ones for Every Pastor and Parent and All Who Care. Um, uh, it is um, probably the best resource I know of for parents who genuinely desire to love their kids well um amidst um yeah the the disclosure of their child having um the same sex orientation um or even um a gender identity um that's not cisgender um so that that would be another recommendation um yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I think kind of in that same vein, um, if if people wanted to connect with you or find out more, uh, find more resources uh, about dealing uh, with LGB um, or, or even TQ um, people or uh, questions and things, uh, where, where could they go? And, and maybe um, distinguish between if there's a way they can connect with you or uh, or the resources, um, yeah, definitely. Find. Yeah, so if you want to connect with me, you can find me on social media. Um, Tyler Kronk um, is my name, so last name K R O N K. Um, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, as far as resources, um, like I said. Um, Guiding Families is an organization um, who has resources that I would highly recommend. Um, they also have um, another, um, gosh, I'm trying to think how to describe it, um, entity um, called Posture Shift um, that I think is super valuable for um, churches in learning how to. Uh, love well and have a posture of love and grace um, and humility amidst, you know, holding a traditional sexual um, ethic. Um, Another uh, another resource um, is uh, Preston Sprinkle and his organization. Um, He um, is the founder of 
um, the Center for Faith, Gender, and Sexuality. So he has um, written several books um, on, you know, LGBTQ experiences. Um, he has a um, series for youth pastors um, that that um, address um, sexual integrity um, in, um, yeah, in a, a, a lot of different forms. Um, not just with LGBTQ. Um, and then also I'd recommend um, a podcast called um, Life Unside B. Um, so Christians who hold um, a, you know, a traditional Christian ethic, um, they, they host that, that podcast and um, kind of um, help people understand how they can live a fulfilling um, life um, yeah. while living on side B. Um, I guess two more things. One more from President Sprinkle. He also has a podcast, um, Theology in the Raw, and then Peter Volk. I mentioned his organization, Equip, um, that you could also check out. So awesome, awesome, uh, Tyler. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it was good and insightful and helpful for me uh, to have this conversation. I hope it will be for others and. Um, we really only scratched the surface of uh, uh, of some of these things, but hopefully these uh, for for people who want to explore, understand more, um, these resources will be helpful. But uh, and then I think just in general, the thing I heard uh, repeated, um, you just said multiple times, was the the, the importance of listening to understand, uh, listening, seeking understanding, uh, and part of that listening to understand involves humility and grace and compassion. And uh, if, if we can cultivate that posture towards one another, um, I think that I just have a belief that that would, that would go a long way in uh, regards to so many, uh, our relationships with so many people on so many issues, uh, but definitely in relation to LGB people, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for joining me, and uh, it, was, it was good to talk. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me.